Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this June the 28th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Wow, we're halfway to Christmas. Have to start looking for special deals for Christmas presents. But that's not what we're going to be doing today. We have Proverbs chapter 21, verses 21 to 31. And remember, this coming Friday, you can ask me questions over the Internet, and I will attempt to answer them. The email address now for this program is tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. That's how you get a hold of me. And I can also uh, send you materials if you're at all interested. And you can ask questions. Proverbs 21, verse 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Now, this is God's point of view. How does one pursue righteousness and kindness? Well, the word kindness can also be translated as mercy. That means not to be giving people what they deserve but being gracious to them, giving them more than they deserve as God does for us. The word righteousness is very, very important. You can take a look at it at one of the most important books of the Bible to look at, and that's a concordance. What's a concordance? It's a book that has every word in the Bible in alphabetical order, and you can take a look and look up righteousness and find other passages that help describe it. For example, even in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2, Solomon has written, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Well, that's really important. That word death means more than just physical death. It means spiritual death. And it's talking about the life of sanctification, which a Christian begins to live when he or she is converted to faith in Jesus Christ and begins to do fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's pursuing righteousness and kindness interesting when you pursue those, you get three things. You get life. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, it's kind of like you're returning to the Garden of Eden, that God has forgiven your sins, and you are sinless. You receive righteousness, which delivers from death. You also receive honor. God honors you. Now, what better way can God honor you than what is mentioned in Psalm 23? My cup overflows. That's important to remember. In the midst of all of your problems, in the midst of all of your sufferings, your cup still will overflow 
with benefits from God. Verse 22, a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Now, here's a verse that may not be understandable to children. A wise man scales the city of the mighty. What does the word scale mean? Well, that was a word used when they would attack a city that was fortified by a wall. And sometimes they would climb the wall. Sometimes they would destroy the wall. What's the best example we can remember of that in the Bible? The people of Israel came into the land of Canaan and destroyed the land of Jericho. How did they do that? Well, they followed God's command. They didn't throw tons of ammunition against the wall. Instead, they walked around the wall for a few days, and then they blew their horns, and the wall came tumbling down. That was scaling the city of the mighty, of the warriors. And you can only imagine the warriors on the top of the wall laughing at the Israelites, thinking, you've come to destroy us, and all you can do is march around. But God used the noise of their trumpets and their singing. In other words, what is God saying here? What brings down the stronghold in which people trust? It's strategy over something that's really important. Strategy overcomes strength. Every time in army fights another army. It's usually the army that has the best strategy. And the best strategy at Jericho was to follow the command of God. And the wall came tumbling down. When we deal with people, we need to use strategy. What does that mean? It means that we make them aware of the dangers that they are living in, especially if they're living in unforgivable, unrepentant sin. We point that out to them and permit the Holy Spirit to bring them to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ. And it brings down the strongholds in which they trust. Now, in the verse, the stronghold is, of course, the mighty wall of the city. But people have learned not to trust that. For there are many ways in which the wall of the city can be brought down. And that's what we as Christians look to. The wall that people put up are walls that refuse to acknowledge their sin. They want to blame other people for it. And they try and defend themselves. That wall can be destroyed by preaching to them the law properly. Verse 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, that often can be misunderstood by a child. What does it mean to keep your mouth and your tongue? This is referring actually 
to the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Therefore, what God is saying is the eighth commandment in a different way. You keep your mouth and your tongue quiet when you know of someone else's trouble. You don't try and put them down. You don't try and mock them. You don't try and covet. And it will keep yourself out of trouble. How many times have you been in a conversation and you just decide to say something to someone and later regret it? Oh, I should not have said that to them. That's keeping your mouth and your tongue quiet, keeping yourself out of trouble. This is the mouth of the old Adam we're talking about. The mouth of the new Adam should not be quiet. It should help people to understand their grief and their sorrow. Uh, can you imagine going to a Christian funeral and the pastor has no sermon? That's keeping his mouth and his tongue quiet. But that would be wrong because you want to have his mouth and his tongue keeping yourself out of trouble. Hopefully at a Christian funeral, at the death of a beloved believer in Christ, you do grieve, but you do not grieve as those who have no hope because you're hearing promises from God. So you grieve because of the loss of a loved one. But the hope is you will see them again. And the troubles that you have here on earth will be gone. Verse 24 begins to talk about those who cause troubles. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Now, the scoffer is someone who has arrogance and haughtiness. What does that mean? Well, if you are a haughty person, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, that means you will submit to nobody else's authority. Even Adam were haughty in the Garden of Eden. They heard God's commandment. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they decided to listen to the devil. It sounded a lot better. The fruit, it looked good to eat. It would make them wise. They would become like God, according to the devil. And so they did not submit to the authority of God. But they acted with arrogant pride. Arrogant pride is overwhelming pride in oneself. In fact, in unbelievers, pride is often at the center of their sin. They think more highly of themselves than they realize they are. They do not want to confess that they are sinners by thought, word, and deed. Because that gets them confused. How can I be a sinner by thought, word, and deed and still go to heaven? So they try and defend their sins by giving God reasons why they sinned. Remember, Adam? Well, it was that woman you gave to me. Remember Eve? 
It was that snake that you allowed to come into the garden. In reality, both of them, though, are blaming God. And that's what proper repentance is, where we blame ourselves for our sin. We are not arrogant. We are not prideful. We are humbled because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Verse 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Now, what does that mean? It gives the impression that the sluggard is a person who doesn't do works. But I didn't think that works were the way to salvation. What God is talking about is a sluggard means a temporal person, and that will kill him. He doesn't want to work for money. He wants to get it from his parents. He wants to steal it. He wants to somehow not be righteous, and therefore he will be haughty with arrogant pride. You just take a look at uh, a number of television stories of FBI files, and you find people who are sluggards. They're very lazy, and they attempt other ways to get money instead of honest ways. It kills them. They can end up in jail, and with unrepentance, they can end up in hell. That's what God is talking about. The refusal to labor isn't referring to the fact that your works save you, but here on earth, you need to be able to work in order to properly take care of yourself, your family, and your neighbors. So how does a sluggard act? That's verse 26. All day long, he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. What does it mean to crave? It means to be greedy over some kind of physical attribute. Maybe it's a possession, maybe it's your reputation, but you crave for it. I mean, how many times have you seen rich people gathering around their money and feeling very proud of it. Look at all the money I'm making. But the more they make, the more they want. That's called greed. In contrast to the righteous who give and do not hold back. I am familiar with millionaires who often will give large amounts of money for the pro-life movement or for other things to help out the poor and the needy. They don't hold back. Remember Solomon when in Ecclesiastes, he's all upset. He's making all this money. And when he dies, it's going to go to his children who haven't worked at all to get it. And he just doesn't think that that's fair. So what the righteous can do is while they are alive, not hold back in giving 
what God has given to them. At the end of the offering, when it's taken in a worship service, I will say, we give thee but thine own. Whatever the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. So we're not giving away our money. We're giving away God's money that he has given to us. And that's what a righteous person does. 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Now, we know in the Old Testament, there were many sacrifices. And they were done on the basis of the kind of sin. So you would have a different sacrifice to be made if you had said words against someone in contrast to if you had put someone to death. And these different sacrifices were a reminder to you that God is in charge of your life. But what was happening in Israel, they began to worship other gods gods that they fashioned with their own hands made out of wood or metal they would kiss them they would bow down to them of course there was nothing behind those idols but it was a disgusting thing therefore for an israelite to bring a sacrifice to worship when he was worshiping other gods the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. But how much more is it an abomination when he brings it with evil intent? And I hear that even today among some Christian pastors. The reason that you are not being blessed by God, they say, is because you're not doing enough good works and you're not receiving enough benefits from God. So that means when you give a sacrifice to God, when you give an offering to God, you must have the intent of getting more gifts from God. That's called an evil intent. No, we don't give gifts at Christmas to our children because we're expecting our children to give gifts back to us that would be an evil intent. We give them to our children because we love them, because we want to share with them how good God is with us. Verse 28 kind of follows up on this. A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who what will endure. Now, when you look at that verse, what is a false witness? That is someone who is a liar. And so you can retranslate, a liar will perish, but the words of a man who what will endure. You would think it would say, but the word of a man who tells the truth will endure. But it doesn't say that. Listen to verse 28. A false witness will perish, but the word of a man 
who listens will endure. Now, have you ever thought about that? That when you speak the words of God, that is because you have listened to what God wants you to say. Is that not what Jesus said to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus listened to the Father. He followed the will of the Father all the way to the cross. And God now wants us to do the same. And how do we do that? By listening to the word of God. That's found, and we've said this many a time, on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus had the disciples listen to the Old Testament to help explain what had happened in the New Testament time with his death, resurrection, and ascension. And when they heard from the Old Testament the explanations, their hearts leaped within them. Verse 29, a wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. Now, how do you give thought to your ways? You listen to the advice of those who are greater than you. Uh, for example, when I had children, we had a pretty big basement, and I wanted to make them their own room. So I just bought some 8 by 4 sheets and attempted to attach them to the ceiling of the basement and did it in such a way that it allowed them to have their own room. Well, it lasted about two weeks before the walls came tumbling down. I had no architectural experience. I was not an architect. I wasn't an engineer. And yet, I put on a bold face when I built that room. A bold face means putting on a bold front, that you're very positive. That's kind of what happened to these people who dived down to the Titanic recently. When you talk to them, they had a bold front, a bold face, saying, no, we're going to make it. The submarine or submersible we're using is strong enough to deal with the pressure. And now we're finding out it had not been tested properly. And so a bold face didn't save their lives. But the upright gives thoughts to his ways. In other words, the upright were listening to what they were supposed to be doing. And that's what God did for them. Okay, verse 30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. What's that talking about? It's talking about the wisdom, understanding, and counsel of the old Adam. 
none of it can avail against the Lord, which means none of it can stand up against the Lord. You do a sin. And remember, Adam and Eve blamed other things. They thought that was wisdom. No understanding means they were not clever enough. And they had no counsel to God. They had no advice to give him. In other words, many of our projects will succeed only with God's wisdom. This is very important when it comes to church worship. So many people want to change the liturgy and they think by making it more entertaining that this will lead people to come to worship. But if one would just examine the hymns that are done by evangelical churches in comparison to proper Christian hymns, the difference is obvious because the Christian hymns give a hope, not because we sing it so much, but because of what we hear God speaking to us. In other words, we're getting back to that point that we're saved by listening to God, listening to his wisdom, his understanding, his advice. Verse 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. What is that talking about? I mean, there are some great armies with big horses, and they have defeated other armies. But what God is saying You can make your horses as ready for the day of battle, but the victory will still belong to the Lord. There are many times when Israel had a minority of people, and yet they still won the war. And by the way, the idea, the victory belongs to the Lord, that word victory can also be translated as salvation. That's what this verse is all about. All credit goes to God for saving us. We may get all kinds of things ready, but finally salvation belongs to the Lord. And that is found in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Join us tomorrow when we'll be talking again about law and gospel. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. 
We are the messenger of good news worldwide KFUO.